3: F1 Welcome to Miss Apex podcast. The title of today's show is To use the podcast, only press the button once. That is from EJ on Twitter. Runner up was Checko yourself before you reco yourself and that was from Agon Monk. On Twitter as well. You know, I'm going to have words to say about Perez today. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. Welcome to our Barcelona race review. This was actually a great race today. It had all the elements that I love in Formula One great wheel to wheel action, strategy, and just a sprinkling of drama as well. And I just was not expecting that from my Spanish Grand Prix when I woke up this morning. So, coming up, we'll discuss. What made the race so interesting? We'll discuss the Red Bull driver management and yet another dominant display from the Bulls. Ooh, we'll have to talk about the Tifosi nightmare. So sorry, Tifosi. And is this the light at the end of the Mercedes tunnel? And we'll explore some surprising successes in the midfield as well. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong but we're first i'm joined today for this race review
2: by chris stevens hey chris hey spanners filling in for matt today but you know he's here with us in trumpet spirit
3: yes but in another sense he's not here at all so let's not speak of his name only chris stevens matters and kyle power hello kyle can every race be a multi-stop race, please? Yeah, maybe the historic tracks need high tyre wear. Mm. We've also got Jonathan Simon. Hello, Jono.
4: Hello. I was a DNS from the last podcast, but I can confirm we have a reliable system for this one. So we're, let's, let's get it going. Let's do it.
3: Yeah, let's get on with the race review. Okay, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it was actually a, a decent race. I don't think this is this is harsh, Kyle, but I I was not expecting a, a thriller. And actually, after Miami, which didn't quite buy, and knowing that we had the Monaco Grand Prix coming up after this, I was I was a bit down. Actually, I was a bit despondent. Like, oh yeah, where's well, Barcelona? I appreciate Barcelona for what it is, but as an older fan of F1. I sort of feel a little bit of responsibility to the newer fans in a weird way like I, I I want to kind of apologize in advance but but this 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 race it it kicked off it had all the elements of a great F1 race.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's because it was so hot and so many high load corners that the tires just couldn't go the distance. Now, I don't think it was anything to do with the compound as such. It was just purely the heat because the hard tires weren't really used but yeah i was the same especially after miami it was a bit yeah it wasn't great and then oh, barcelona but if we remember back to last year we had quite an intriguing strategy battle last year with the mercedes flipping onto a three-stop strategy to try and overtake verstappen and the same sort of played out this time so i think if it's scorching hot in barcelona we, we know now we're going to get a good race if the tyres aren't too durable.
3: And That's what we need. It's the opposite of Bernie's sprinkler idea of making all the tracks wet. <laughs> Maybe when it comes to historic tracks, we need under-track heating.
4: Warm them up. That's what we need, Spanners. Yeah. Right. Actually, honestly, that is probably a better idea than the sprinklers. I'll tell you what. It's probably more viable as well. I have to say, for Barcelona standards, that was like the greatest Formula 1 race of all time. Because we never get good races no. at
3: this track. No, no, exactly. And my expectations were really low, Chris, but this got me thinking, you you know, I I don't actually know what, Matt's not here, so we don't know what (laughs) compound of tyres we were on, but obviously Pirelli have a selection of tyres that they can choose from, and they pick a range of three to be their hard, medium, and soft. Do we know where they were on the range? Yes,
2: I know exactly which tyres were being (laughs) used, because I'm not just filling in for Matt, I am becoming... Good. The okay, so what this, this one? So, so obviously, F1 can pick from their harder range
3: or from their softer range. Where exactly. were we today?
2: So we were on the hardest wow. tires available: the okay. C1, C2, and C3 tires. And it's really weird because you would think such a high-load uh, circuit like this one, with the temperatures we were seeing as well, that the hard tire would be a viable option. But it just wasn't. People were Oof. avoiding it like the plague. The fact that we had everyone except for Lewis Hamilton starting on the soft tire shows just how useless that tire was this weekend.
0: Yeah. And it's been a gripe of mine for quite a while. Um, I always keep saying uh, that Pirelli go too conservative with their compounds and you can't really blame them this year with the different cars and a new era, but they play a bit too safe, but it just shows that they are way too conservative because the hard tire, as you say, you would have thought would have been a dead sir. And it's just none of the teams can get it into the window or turn it on. So quite a few of them had a brand new set of hards going into the race, and they didn't even consider it. Like Paul McShumacker, for instance, they actually said, oh, well, we can't use the hard. They just instantly discounted even bothering to try. But Chris, then
2: it did it make it better because it forced them onto the soft tyre and we got multiple stops out of it? Maybe. Jono?
4: I, I'm surprised that, yeah, nobody used the hard, especially at such a high-load circuit, as we mentioned. But the, the funny part about it is if they did bring the softest compound available – I think the tyres would almost burst. So Pirelli can't do that in a sense. They have to bring these hard tyres here because they have to cope with the high loads. That third corner, the long right-hander, as you saw Verstappen try to get around George Russell for like 20 laps, the, the left side tyres would burst as we saw um, for those F1 fans yeah. who watched 12 years ago, to our recollection, Lewis Hamilton happened to him with three laps to go.
3: Yeah, and a it is a, the reason we're talking about the front lefts is predominantly, I think, the the turn three isn't it so you've got the first sharp right hander a subtle kink to the lift to the left and then a really long uh, right hander up the hill uh, and we saw the, you know there's a few different lines through there but i think that's flat in an f1 car but you're constantly loaded on that left hand side uh kyle then chris
0: yeah it's turn three then immediately afterwards it's turn four and these corners it, wait, hang are on hang on
3: turn- three and then four Three and then right. four got afterwards, it. yes. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> four is one of those corners where you have to get the car rotated and then you're basically accelerating, leaning on that front left all yeah. the way around the corner. And also later on in the lap, you've got turn nine camps a corner, which is a huge load through the front left tyre. So yeah, it's a yeah. front left killer.
3: Actually, and something that will come into play when we talk about whose fault is this later, when we talk about the crash between Hamilton and Magnuson, is in that turn four, it's, it's quite rare in that you set yourself up very, very early for the corner and you're accelerating way before anything like an apex and then you're pinning it and just, just trying to keep it off of the gravel on the outside. Chris.
2: Yeah, so it's it's all the outside tires. You know, when you are in a car and you go around a corner a little bit too quickly, you get thrown to the outside, you know, of the car. So if you're g- going through a left hand, you get thrown to the right side of the car, and mm. it's the same for the tires. The outside tire is the one that takes the most punishment, and because we've got so many high speed and crucially very long right handers like three and four um, is what puts that pressure on the front left tire. Plus the searing temperatures that we saw as well, 37 ambient pushing 50 on the track as well. So those tires were really having a hard time of it.
4: It does create an imbalance because all the fast sweeping corners are right handers, which means there's a lot of stress on the left side tires, but it seems like all the slower corners are, are left handers. And so that creates a huge imbalance left to right. And that's another challenge uh, the team's face, despite the fact uh spanners they do around thirty thousand uh, laps or so at this circuit every year, probably
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was completely different conditions in the test to what they're facing now, like you said, it was much mm. much hotter, but in the olden days and I 'm going back as far as 2013 the engineers would do things like uh just swap the tires around left and right on a high load circuit like this, and then at Silverstone we ended up having multiple tire failures and that put a, a stop to all of that. But I think that the last thing on you know, why this race was good was because we had that tyre that wear, even if it was just on, on one side in particular. Uh, but that did lead to some really interesting strategy approaches. So before we get into talking about the teams, and I think we will we'll kick off with Red Bull's race first, by far the most interesting, I think. Uh, what were the strategy options available to everyone, Chris? What, what did we think the teams were going to do before the start of the race?
2: So there were a lot of rumors about what was going to be the potential best strategy, ranging from one stop to three stop, which is pretty rare these days to hear such variety. And you yeah. know, we, we've gotten so used to it, it just being wait for the safety car, make your pit stop uh, then. And I know you're going to bring this up. Uh, latest man it's been a long time since we've gone through a whole race without a safety car yeah um, and that probably didn't help matters but yeah the the fact that we did get most of the top all of the top guys were on a three-stopper but they were going about it in different ways about when they were going to stop and which tires they were going to run in a crucial order as well and when you consider that uh, Charles Leclerc was the only one of those front runners with a new soft tire available which he used at the start of the race I loved the fact that we just had such strategic variety in this one.
3: I'm glad you mentioned no safety car. There have been 35 consecutive races with at least two safety cars, yet the minute that Lewis Hamilton needs one, there wasn't. Suspicious, Kyle. (laughs) no no Uh, don't answer that make your serious point that you were going to (laughs)
0: make. i was about to say that's the beauty of multi-stop races when you have more than one stop you then open up several other options so you get some people trying to go long on the first stint, other people doing a very short second stint but once you've got the first stops out of the way and we've seen this we saw this throughout this race and last year at the same race whereas it gives the, the person behind essentially the option to dive into the pits and have a ridiculously short second stint and then try and hang it out for the third stint. Whereas if it's just a one-stop race, you essentially only have one chance, but this one you have several chances to, um, to play your cards. It's almost like poker when the blinds go in and you get a different little round of betting at each pit stops and who's going to bluff and who's going to show their cards or, or their hand first. So it's fantastic. And I'd really like to see more of these races, but it's a tough job for Pirelli to get the compounds right for it.
3: No, they've got it right once. My expectations could not be higher. So if you're right, if you're listening, Pirelli, you've got this exactly right this weekend. The balance between a two-stop and a three-stop, I think, is absolutely perfect for F1 racing, especially on a historic track. Don't worry. I won't judge you at Monaco. Monaco's not your fault. But where do we go after that? Uh, Montreal? Montreal after that? Yeah, well, that, I that think so, yeah. yeah. And, 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 Baku and that's Montreal. Yep. Yeah, and then Baku. Okay, so from Montreal yep. and Baku, no pressure, but get it exactly right, like you just did here, and <laughs> we're absolutely golden. Understand that they do face a, an impossible task.
2: Well, Canada was the race that inspired the Heidegg-Pirelli era, so maybe that will throw up something. that was like a five-stopper. Okay, Pirelli, I
3: I know you're listening, so I'll just say, don't do that again. I don't know. I think we could do the odd five-stopper. That's not going to hurt anyone. Uh, But let's go on to our our review of uh, the teams, and let's start with Red Bull. (laughs) Now, I said last week or last race review probably, that Red Bull are the team to be in so many ways. They are honed, they have come into this season with a good race car, and bar some reliability issues, which is no small matter, and they reared their head a little bit again today, aside from some of those maybe manufacturing issues, they are the team that is slickest, they are the team with the drivers that are honed, fresh from a championship battle, a team whose drills are slick, and they're just getting everything right. And Ferrari needed to step up their game to keep up with them. I think what we saw in this race, though, Kyle, was a, a scruffy, actually, a scruffy race from from Verstappen and from Red Bull. And and, and Perez's race didn't go how he wanted it to go as well. And they were still able to pull through. So To me, Red Bull are looking like a frightening outfit this season.
0: Certainly, they're looking formidable. And as you say, it was quite a scruffy opening to the race with them with Verstappen's mistake, but also on the strategy side, when Verstappen was tucked up behind Russell, he pitted directly behind Russell on the same yeah, lap, essentially yeah. locking himself in to behind, and they knew they had DRS issues. So I found that really, really surprising that that was almost like a ball drop on the strategy from Red Bull, but then they did very much um, repair that later with an extremely aggressive strategy and putting Verstappen on those soft tyres for the middle stint, which was electric
2: maybe underestimating Mercedes and Russell a little bit, thinking, oh, we can get past this guy, yeah. no problem. We've got, you know, we've, we've been the kings of the straights um, all season long, and uh, we've got a much faster car than the Mercedes, so we should get through it pretty quickly. Little did they know that George Russell proved today uh, why he is in that car and not Valtteri Bottas.
3: Wait, we'll, um, we'll, we'll don't worry, we'll have our tingles about Russell oh, in yeah. a little bit. But let, let's focus on Verstappen, who I think has probably had a flawless start to the season, a drive from a driver point of view. And actually what we've not seen from Verstappen is just dropping it, is just mistakes. You know, we haven't seen like the Vettel 2017, 2018 losing the rears, cracking under pressure. So today, to see him suddenly spin off at turn four, Chris, that was a surprise. It was genuinely as soon as the we saw a Red Bull go off, I, I assumed it must be Perez. I was surprised <laughs> that it was that it was Verstappen.
2: Yeah, I was in the same boat thinking it must be Paris oh, because Paris is up and just, oh. he, he doesn't make mistakes, you know. Not and those kind, for sure. No, yeah. no, exactly. And it's so bizarre. Um, And it seems like the same thing that caught Carlos Sainz out too, which was just this mad gust of wind, a tailwind going into turn four. So we talked about the headwind coming down the, uh, the front straight. Uh, which makes it, you know, it's great for racing because the slipstream is more powerful. and It's a bit easier to overtake. But when you're suddenly coming back the other way on the way into turn four, the wind is now behind you, and that's like pushing the car along and actually taking away your downforce, which suddenly makes it quite uh, easy to drop the car. So it was a little bit of wrong place, wrong time there because we all know how sensitive a Formula One car, any you know, aerodynamic single seater, mm. is to uh, to the wind. I will just say uh, there was the the Austrian Grand Prix, I think, in 2016,
3: where Rosberg used the wind as an excuse and he was roundly mocked. (gasps) Kyle, you're going
0: to correct me. Yeah, it was the uh, 2015 USA Grand Prix. That's when he lost the championship.
3: How are you correcting me (laughs) so quickly on that? That is absolutely amazing. I I love this panel. Uh, But yeah, he was roundly mocked for that. Um, But I think... Carlos Sainz probably makes the case that there was a particularly you know tricky issue there, and, and the way he described it, he said, "Well, I just I just don't know what happened," and and that would seem synonymous with like a, a wind spin condition. But but sorry, Carl, I've interrupted. You carry on your point, and then uh, Jono.
0: I was about to say, yeah, it was so rare. I was shocked when it was Verstappen that had done it because he. He has been largely flawless. You very rarely see a driving mistake from him. And the last one I can sort of remember is turn one at the French Grand Prix last year when he went wide. He recovered and still won the race, but he actually went off at turn one. We just don't see these mistakes. And again, with science, they're almost identical. Science mm-hmm. ended up doing a, a full pirouette. Stappen caught it up, but it just shows how on edge they are and how on edge they are with the setup. And we can maybe talk about it later, but, but Otto referenced that science can't drive such on with such a, an aggressive setup as Leclerc can. So that's where the speed is coming from. So it just shows the fine margins and the absolute limit that they are on that. Yeah. A sudden gust of wind can, can cause
3: them to go off the track. You know, I'm going to, it's cl- a really, you know, I'm going to oh. clip out Carl. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Jono, you carry on, you carry on.
4: No, I was going to say that's a a great point because a lot of the, the great drivers you hear can drive a car on edge. And the fact that science is struggling compared to, let's say, his teammate Leclerc, the fact that all of Verstappen's teammates until Perez jumped on board, and even Perez sometimes struggled with the car, Hamilton's been able to drive a pointy car. So even today, Verstappen showed a great example of him actually saving that. I know he went off the track, but he didn't pirouette and spin. And he's had a lot of moments where he just saved the car from a huge calamity and a huge spin and crash into the wall that not many other drivers on the grid can do.
3: Yeah, and and this is also like you know moving on from that, obviously that then puts him behind the Russell Perez battle. So Perez wasn't able to to make a move. Some absolutely fantastic defending from from Russell. Uh but he this is where Red Bull play a a good team game. If you're a Verstappen fan, a frustrating and unjust team game. If you're a Perez fan, but nonetheless this is how Red Bull operate. Verstappen gets let through by uh, by Perez to then have a go at George Russell and I think this brings us to probably one of the best battles of the race. So I think you know this is I know we're talking Red Bull but but Russell really made himself a feature of the Red Bull race with his defending and so so Verstappen fights for his opportunity to get past has an intermittent DRS issue and also can't get past Chris um, but it was a it, uh, probably uh, you're right. It wasn't something they were going to expect to struggle with, even at Barcelona.
2: Yeah. And uh, especially in the past, you know, you come up to the second Mercedes car and uh, you can normally find a way pretty quickly, at least Verstappen could um, in years gone by. And uh, yeah, it was not the case today. And um, yeah, I've got to say, I understand Max's frustration on the radio uh, about the DRS issue, because especially when you consider that it was the same issue that they had uh, at the very end of qualifying. It ruined his last run in Q3, potentially cost him pole position as well. And then suddenly to have this issue occurring in the race as well, very, very frustrating. But I, if I would like someone to remind him that shouting like that on the radio and getting super frustrated about it isn't going to solve anything and is not going to lead anyone in the right uh, direction, but I understand his frustration.
4: It, look, the problem with that is I have no issues with him doing that because I, you know I'm going to defend pro athletes all the time with this because nobody in the world can experience what they're going through. And you know I've had some experience in in the pro sports scene. I've had some experience on on both sides of it, whether it's coaching, playing, whatever. Now, on that note. What The problem with him and what Chris is saying is he's got to understand that this is being broadcasted. So where these athletes don't understand is that they think they're correct, but from a media perspective and from a fan perspective, we're not going to understand what they're going through, and And they need to better manage that.
3: Yo, look, I've always hated it in Olympics – When they throw the mic in front of a a runner after he's been or he or she's been like doing 110 meter hurdles and then suddenly they're huffing and puffing and 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 suddenly they've got to answer an interview. So in that respect, you're right. And it is unfair to to the athletes in in a lot of ways. And we've certainly talked about it here. You know, maybe do we need a, a more curated view of the driver radio? On the other hand, it gives us as fans a sneak peek. We haven't chosen to have that sneak peek we, but we get it, and so we do have a peek into driver mentality and psychology. And we had a really interesting chat with former Mercedes and Haas strategist, uh, you know, uh, Mike Caulfield, on the show a couple of shows back, and he was saying, you know, it does have an effect on the team and the engineers when the drivers are, are being, you know, aggressive and difficult, because sometimes the strategists will have to look after themselves and will have to go in with themselves. And we don't know the power dynamics within various teams. We don't know if the strategists, are they completely free to overrule a driver or will they have to, you know, answer to that, to Helmut Marko or uh, or to the Mercedes board. We just don't know. So earlier I just tweeted, Right, because I just tweeted and uh, I got a fair reaction from this. I just said, you can say heat at the moment all you want, but as a as a team member, as a strategist, you'd get pretty sick of someone screaming at you and berating you when you're in a team that's given someone a pretty amazing car. And I, and I think in the past that we've seen that kind of behaviour build up over time. And I had made a similar tweet and a similar comment about Lewis Hamilton and the way he reacts when a strategy call doesn't go well. Interesting to note, overwhelmingly, Max Verstappen fans told me that it was completely fine, and just for Verstappen to show that frustration because his car wasn't working. And in a way, I agree. DRS not working is vital, especially at a track like Barcelona. All I'd ask from the people disagreeing with that tweet is that the same courtesy and luxury is afforded to Lewis Hamilton and Yuki Tsunoda et al. Uh, Kyle, then Chris.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's. You know, put yourself in the driver's in the driver's seat. You're you're boiling, you're suffering, you're under G force, it is hot, you're trying your hardest here. And yeah, you know, even the nicest guys in the world can lose their head sometimes and get a bit shouty. Now Max has shown in the past that he is quite shouty on the radio, but then afterwards it's all absolutely fine. Again, the same with Lewis. Lewis mm. can drop his head and ask questions. Right in the heat of the moment, like he offered, so he goes, shall we just save the ending? But he didn't know as soon as he gets told points, but like it's, it's fine. So yeah, people should give them a bit more slack. And of course, Hamilton will never be held to the same account as everyone else. He will always get a harder time of it, but I think it was fair enough. And yeah, it wasn't very nice the way he delivered the message, but if you're boiling in your yeah. own race suit under a lot of G force yeah. trying to get something done, you get a bit hot headed. I've done it myself in endurance races, and I think I'm a pretty nice guy generally around the paddock. But, wow. <laughs> but even I've shouted at my team over the radio a few yeah, times. Of course, of course. Uh, Chris.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've shouted at Matt when we've done racing Enduros um, as well. So, you know, I, I, I definitely feel him. Um, the worrying thing, though, about this issue is that according to Helmut Marco um, talking to Sky Germany, the issue is as a result of the upgrades on max's car that were brought um this weekend in a you know they they're on a effort to save some weight yeah. in that car
3: and they, and this is it you see with the they, they talked about the upgrades and verstappen had an upgrade to make the car lighter perez didn't just saying um but again what we're seeing <sighs> is these kind of manufacturing type issues from red bull when we had the power unit issues or whatever in the first few races you know there was four power units or related systems going down in the first few races between them and um and red bull b but yeah again you know they've, they've brought an upgrade and it's it's caused what could have been a critical failure sorry john i know you had a, a little point there on the radio calls
4: Oh, no. I I was going to say, what we don't see is what happens behind the scenes, right? And this is something where they can have really good relationships with their teams, is what I was going to say. But just because what we see on air is not actually the relationship. So you can get along really well with these engineers. And just because you have one shouting match does
3: not mean you're not friends anymore. No well, absolutely. You only have to look at the missed Apex team. you know, I've had massive falling out falling out with Brad, with Chris, <laughs> with Uncle Steve and the rest of you, and you know well, we can all still broadly work together. The DRS issue itself was interesting with the terminology when they were saying, you know, oh, you know, maybe just wait until after the curb suppress it, and he said, "I'm pressing it like fifty times." i I, I only know from video games, Kyle, but don't you press it once to open it?" And then you either press it to close it or it closes when you do a big lift or when you hit the, hit the brake, brake pedal.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll close if you lift. I think it's past um, 90% throttle or something. There'll be a percentage if you lift and then, or if you if you hit the brakes, it will automatically shut. But yeah, you can't really blame it for hitting it so many times. I've done that several times trying to get a button to work and you hit it, you're like, look, no, no, look. No. But it was a really interesting comment from Red Bull saying, try pressing the button once after you're curbing. So what's that? What's curbing? Me- what's curbing? So, so they were actually instructing him to run over the sawtooth curbs on the outside of the final corner to cause a bit of vibration then do it which is making me think it's a binding up issue or something was not quite working right in the mechanism so it's quite Mm. clever they were getting him to hit the curb then
3: hit the button to try and loosen it up wd-40 guys it's not a big Mm. deal just get some wd-40 on there my goodness if it doesn't move and it's supposed to wd-40 if it's moving and it's not supposed to duct tape engineering isn't really that hard Uh, but there was some really hard racing. I think I want to go back to the uh, the Russell battle and the the defence uh, and and that scrap. It was just quality F one and in a way, you know, this is this is classic F one, Chris, because it was a faster car against a slower car on a track where overtaking is hard, but racing was possible. This was almost the best case scenario. We saw lots of probing from Perez and from Verstappen. And then we saw some fantastic defence and car placement from George Russell.
2: Absolutely. It's just a masterclass in how to defend your position. If you are wondering, you know, if you're an iRacer or something or a carter, go and watch that and you will see exactly how you should be doing it. I think George Russell was taking a a book out of the Alex Van Gene school of defensive (laughs) driving there. Uh, And it was, it was just brilliant. Just wherever, you know, Max wanted to be, George was putting his car there, not being too aggressive, not moving in the braking zone, not making late maneuvers and all this, despite what GP was telling Max over the radio, Um, but just brilliant, brilliant driving and proving exactly why Russell got the promotion to Mercedes because, yeah. You know, as much as I rate Valtteri Bottas, he would not have kept Verstappen behind for that long.
3: Oh, man. And then as soon as the Red Bull uh, pit crew. As soon as Red Bull made that pit crew call about uh, uh, moving in the braking zone and not leaving a car's width, it was accompanied by the shattering sounds of glass breaking from within the Red Bull house. Uh, Jono. Yep. Sorry. My mic is all over the place. Um, now, the.
4: Uh, with the battle there, it was the classic F1 battle. Now, we spoke about this, I think, after the Saudi race review, how we're like, oh, we don't want to go back to that style of F1. But along that note, I kind of enjoyed, you know, I, I know we don't want to see no overtakes for 20 laps, but just the whole tense battle where you're wondering, is he going to do it this lap? Look at the yeah. car placement here. Oh, he's poking a nose here. They're alongside each other. All that kind of stuff all over the place. I was on the edge of my seat for 10, 15 laps watching that. I did not want to see him just sail past after two laps. I just didn't yeah. enjoy that kind of effort, and then I don't.
3: And I think the one that you might have appreciated, Kyle, was obviously uh, Perez was stuck behind Russell for, for lap after lap after lap in that first stint. And you could see that Perez knew he needed to get past, even losing some bodywork into turn one. But when he came to the second attempt to pass Russell, he sold him I think he sold him a dummy based on those previous battles, knowing that Russell was was really good at defending that inside. He seemed to just gently put him to the point where he would normally require Russell to to defend the inside and then just sail down the outside. And uh, there was just lots of that stuff where you need to do things over the course of many laps, not just a few corners.
0: Yeah, quite often overtaking moves build up via several laps and also with the battery charge and where you recharge and save it all up for a massive attack now when Perez finally did get past him I actually think that he he did the work in the final chicane he got close enough to him in the final chicane and had enough battery left so he could essentially get past him before the braking zone almost but how George was driving was quite clever and also he was using Max's tactics his own tactics against him was moving late in the breaking zone most people if they go to defend they'll make a decisive move really early mm. and that essentially opens a door for the other person to breeze down the outside so george was keeping them guessing watching his mirrors and then moving quite late so then the other guy had to quickly jink out right at the point of the breaking zone so he played it really really well but also i think what's really key to note here in these battles particularly into turn one versus last year is the new directives and the race directors, whatever they're telling him in the driver's briefing is working. Cause when Verstappen got the run and managed to go up the inside of George, he managed to sort of get him on the hop a bit and went up the inside. Oh, it's definitely done now. He's just, oh, gonna let the brakes yeah, and so run but Verstappen didn't, he actually pulled up and left the car's width on the outside, which we didn't see at any point last year. Yeah. And it was absolutely fair. So George could come around the outside of him. So I think it's testament to these new sort of racing and these new sort of rules of engagement and whatever they're telling them in the driver's briefing. Cause, um, they're all adhering to it, like, yeah. religiously. Like, nobody has tried to do a full wang up the inside and just run the other driver off. We haven't seen it, it yet. It,
3: that's a good point. That I didn't realise, I didn't think of that at the time. But that exact same manoeuvre last year against Hamilton, 100%, Verstappen is going all the way to the outside and Hamilton is off or having to back up. Um, and he's not doing that. And I don't believe that Verstappen has had, like, a moment where the heavens and the angels have descended on him and said, no, you know, no, Max, you know, that that's wrong. You shouldn't do it. This is not a moral decision. Clearly, the FIA have stamped down rules-wise and made it very clear that that will not wash this season. Chris?
2: That was the best moment, wasn't it? When so you, good. you thought the move was done. So good, And yeah. Russell just says, no, I'm not having any of it. I'm just going to go around the outside, take the position straight back again, just brilliant
3: yeah and then um i guess carl the other bit of like contentious uh racing in that was firstly actually do you think that russell was moving in the braking zone because we should remind people of the rules you you were not allowed to specifically change your line whilst braking
0: no but also there is another sort of open-ended comment in the rules which is like you're allowed to regain your line on the way into the corner so it's a bit kind of open-ended um was Russell fair? Ultimately, I think he was. Was it on the edge? Yes, it was. It was on the edge. But again, it's one of these new generation of young drivers. Verstappen started it when he came in. We see it with mm-hmm. Norris, even we see it with Leclerc. They're all very, very aggressive, but right up to the line. So I think it was fair. I almost choked on the irony of some of the radio comments yeah. from yeah, William yeah. Randall coming out.
3: Well, no, but, um yeah
0: but it was ultimately fair but it was right on the edge. I think one occasion he moved back aggressively to take the um to take to take his line to the corner but he did just about leave a car width. and I think this is the crucial bit he yeah. didn't do the full chop right in front of him so I think this is why the stewards didn't tell him off.
3: Okay, yeah. So there's a there's a few things there to probably just a bit of revision for myself to make sure I've I've got this. As I understand it, the way it is enforced is if you're going, you know, down a straight with a car about to overtake you Obviously, you can then go and defend all the way to the inside if, we, if you want. And we saw Russell defend all the way to the inside. But you don't want to be on the inside to take the corner. So you can move back to take up your line. But what you can't do is then move all the way back across and also block the outside. So you get to choose which one you want to block. And, and generally, Carl, you know, people will be defensive on the the inside. And, and we saw Verstappen and Perez really exploring where the tarmac runs out onto grass and you go that's your cutoff point to make a decision down the inside and then go back to the outside and then naturally russell will follow back to the outside but then he's got to leave that that racing room on the outside
0: yeah yeah because he doesn't want to compromise himself too much for the exit and also his i think his car whips are taking to into account the white line and a bit of the curb (laughs) so he can get the two the other can get two wheels off on the other side and like the turn three incident well, it wasn't really an incident when he kind of almost ran him off. Verstappen was never fully alongside him at that point. So I think they have other rules where they say the car on the inside, it's it's their corner. It was all fair at the end of the day. But another really clever sort of as- aspect to George's defence was how he finished the defence. So once he's actually managed to stay ahead of Verstappen in turn one, going through two, he's in no hurry really. That's <laughs> yeah, what yeah I like. exactly. He's in yeah, no yeah, hurry. Yeah, it's yeah. called parking it on the apex. Yeah. And so he was doing that quite a lot, which was, which is wrong-footing Verstappen. And also, I noticed, um, in turn three, he was actively going where Verstappen was behind him to give him the dirty air. So he was keeping it tight when Verstappen was. And as soon as Verstappen went out wider, George then reacted. It's a trick Michael Schumacher used to do which is keeping an eye on the mirror where the car is behind and he was purposely getting that dirty air onto Max's car. So I think he was being a bit more wily than it first
3: seemed in his defence. See, see, the thing is, Chris, I've not been a massive George Russell fan because just <gasps> nothing... I, I know, but just nothing. He's been fighting Latifi and uh, and Kubica. <laughs> like, OK, kind of great. Well done. You're working your way up the ladder. And then, you know, it's been a good start to this you know, Mercedes campaign as well. But this, this defence, and especially that, that one fighting back when Verstappen had it done, my Mm. F1 heart, it fluttered. It fluttered a little bit, and a a little bit of fandom grew inside my heart for George Russell, just a little, just to start.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is why we watch Formula 1, isn't it? It's the absolute peak of racing ability. And I think the reason we don't see battles like this more often is because that was was costing them both a lot of time. Yeah. But George was in a rather uh, enviable position Where he knows he's not going to fight Leclerc for the win. He knows that, you know, he was in second place. Leclerc was in second place a little bit as well with science and and Verstappen um, going off. So he knows that this is the best he's going to get and he's going to fight for it. Yeah. So he was willing to lose time to Leclerc for that fight. He's also got to tell the team as well. He's got to
3: announce himself to the team like, I really am here. I am good. I am doing a job because I know people will hate us for this. I cannot imagine Bottas doing that same job. He had three, four, five years to prove that, and he he never showed that kind of performance at Mercedes. But the second part of Perez's race, of um, Verstappen's race, was Perez. So once they cleared Bottas as car, as what am I saying, Bottas? Why once they cleared Russell with the strategy that Carl mentioned earlier, going onto the soft, being aggressive, unlocking the pace and tire management that we we previously didn't know whether Verstappen had. Really, the only obstacle then, Chris, was was Perez.
2: Yeah, so a little bit of luck with Leclerc falling out of the race. Oh, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, um, mm. With the reliability. I, I would have loved to have seen how that would have panned out with Leclerc making it to, to the finish. But, you know, it, it makes sense for Red Bull to just, okay, we, we can't get past Russell. Just get him in some clean air, bang in some lap times, and we will come out ahead by the end of this. And um, I don't think they quite foresaw the scenario where they would end up being one-two with with Perez ahead um, as well, because um, I think initially Perez was going to be making one stop yeah. less. Yeah, and the one um, stop was kind of working a little bit. I don't know if the one stop was going to work. The the one stop, the two stop maybe. I think that was the initial plan. Um, but I think then with with Russell and Co kind yeah. of making it on three stops as well, they didn't really have anything to lose by making that third um stop because they know they want Verstappen to win the race.
4: I was thinking about this earlier is is betting on Sergio Perez to win a race one of the worst things you can do because even when he's got a chance he's going to be forced to move out of the way. So the only chance you've ever got to make money on that is if Verstappen is out of the race and somehow Perez has the fastest car. So it's it's almost like the worst thing you could place a bet on.
3: So uh, to be fair to to Red Bull, Perez has is is showing some pace. This this season and in Miami, that was masked by a a loss of power. But I think this is the best Perez Red Bull package that we've seen so far. It might not be a massively high bar for everyone. So this is the first time he's starting to give Red Bull this headache. Chris.
2: Yeah, so one of the questions that I got on Twitter after the race, um, if you if you don't follow the the Miss Apex Twitter account, I answer questions on that for an hour or so after each Grand Prix
3: at Miss Apex F1. (laughs)
2: That's the one. And uh, one of the questions I got was, you know, wh- what does Perez have to do to actually win a race? And I said, well, he has to be in victory contention when Max is not. Mm. Yeah, If they're both in contention, then Max will be given the go ahead and Perez will be told to to let him through. But if Max, for whatever reason, he's out of the race, he's out of contention because he's had a puncture or something. That is the only way Perez is going to win races. Okay, but Mercedes retrospectively might be
3: thinking that they missed a little bit of a trick today. And in the heat of battle, yeah, you fight for your position. And look, even though Russell was fighting for positions, he ultimately probably wasn't going to keep and knew he wasn't going to keep. You've got to respect the fight. And from a Mercedes point of view, being up there in the lead fighting for the win, that carried so much weight. But once Verstappen was behind... Russell and Mercedes could have pulled a blinder. They could have let Ross, uh Perez through and said, "Hey, you know this is not our fight." But then being a bit more dogged with Verstappen, create an inter-team struggle with them, put a gap of like fifteen to twenty seconds between their number two driver and their number one driver, and cause tons of chaos. What's wrong with that, Jono?
4: Well, oh, that's it's a convoluted, convoluted thing to think about. In the, the, future, the thing. And the, and the, and the problem I have with it is, um, so if you're in Perez's situation, right? So we start off with the fact that. Is he actually doing well? Because so now that Mercedes are the third quickest team, you can't be three, four, tenths off a step and be like, Oh, Perez is doing well, he's in fourth, he's keeping that car competitive. Now he's being at qualified by Russell. oh well, hang on, hang on, on hang, not hang on, hang on, hang on a minute.
3: Quali, quality's quality. Let's talk about the race. The race was today. No, we know there's a quality I, deficit. I know that. I know and, that. And but hang on still... a second. No, sorry, John. Sorry. I know people don't like yeah. me interrupting, but they don't have the same car. He's at least an upgrade behind most of the time. So he's got a heavier car. Uh, they, they don't give him the same priority on tactics. They don't give him the same priority, uh, say, for, for going. Other teams will swap where drivers get preferential treatment about who goes out. Let's remember Perez is a, is a clear number two in every resource mm-hmm. area of the team.
4: I do agree with that, and that is the leeway for him, and that's the sort of grace period we give him is the fact that he doesn't have the same car. He, he's in that sort of second position, but along with that is he he can't now with a third team that's about to be competitive because Mercedes is starting to climb up the order. He just cannot be two, three tenths off anymore because now he's going to start to, oh, Red Bull all of a sudden have the, the fastest car, but I'm three tenths off a oh, I'm sixth. And I'm no longer third or fourth. And that's the problem now for for Perez in, like, when it comes into that situation. Yes, his race pace was very good today. I agree. He he did very well. But if you take Verstappen's spin out of it, it's a completely different race. And if Verstappen has a clean race and he never makes mistakes, usually Verstappen is way up the road in comparison to Sergio.
0: Yeah. And... I kind of agree I agree with Red Bull's tactics sorry spanners but boo. it's complete boo it's to a complete, you two both of you boo <laughs> it's a complete and utter no brainer i know mercedes have come in for flack for this in the past but it's a complete no brainer i mean all their eggs and they've made no bones about it no. they have been pretty open with it that like, all of their eggs are in verstappen's basket so um, i was quite surprised to hear sergio so so um Frustrated with it, it must be again heat at the moment. Again, it's frustrated at the time. No, no, but like, wow.
3: Well, wow, like he,
0: but he I, I, yeah, go on. Was, did the did he seriously think that he was going to hold uh, Verstappen off? Did he seriously think that they was going to do that? And also, it was always for the team. Yes, his strategy was slightly compromised, but as soon as Leclerc dropped out of the race, Red Bull, were like, right, mm. we need our like number one guy maximizing the points. I'm really surprised they didn't stop him in the end, to go for fastest lap as well. They probably didn't want the risk with the climbing yeah. temperatures.
3: So uh, it wasn't just the heat at the moment. He was doing it, you know, a good hour after the race in the pen and stuff. I, I think, much like no one told Felipe Massa he was a number two, I don't think it's quite like that with Perez, but I think he thought he was going to get a fairer shake of the stick. So if you just look at the race quickly and just quickly look at Perez's key moments, he was asked to let Verstappen through to have a go at russell now that is on perez because had he got past on the at the start in turn one and he sure did give it a go that wouldn't have been an issue had he been able to to make a more decisive move against george russell it wouldn't be an issue because he'd been clear and gone and but what you had there is you know a very, very good defensive driver against not one of the best attacking drivers on the field in the form of Sergio Perez. But then when he he had the tyres, when he'd made the longer stint work and had fresh tyres to come through, they didn't just say, OK, Max, it's not happening with Russell. Let Perez through to do his own race. It wasn't even a consideration. They could have swapped it back later on, but it was no consideration to let him go and do his strategy. And then later on in the race... Uh, he, was, he was taken off that one stop for good or for ill, probably wouldn't have won it anyway. But when Max comes up to him, he is then told, you're on a different strategy if he's faster, let him go. The other way round, around, he, Perez was faster and had more of a chance to get past Russell, as he demonstrated, but he wasn't allowed to go. So I, I can see why he felt hard done by, but you're only hard done by if you haven't been told you're an out and out number two with no chance of winning a race sorry uh, Chris
2: I think we can sit back and say oh well he clearly was never going to hold back the Stappen on fresh tires but he has to believe that yeah because otherwise he may as well just give up and retire and, and well, not do Barcelona you can defend in Barcelona exactly it, it it's not beyond the realms of possibility but Red Bull have learned the hard way that letting your drivers race is an incredibly risky strategy. Mercedes has learned it the hard way as well. And that's why we get such strict team orders now about you are not racing. Okay. Max is quicker, quicker at the end of the race. And he's the guy going for the world championship. Perez just isn't. And it's the same at Ferrari with Carlos Sainz as well. That spin for him has put the final nail in the coffin. He is now number two. He will be asked to let Leclerc through any time for the rest of the season. Now, not that Leclerc will probably ever be behind him. We
1: haven't even seen it at all this savage, season. But yeah, a little bit of
3: pre signs bashing. We haven't even got there yet, Chris.
0: For the sake of balance and Imperius' defence, you are right. As soon as Verstappen come up behind him, it was instantly yeah. pretty much out the way. As soon as he had a chance to get to get in the mix, it's like, no, sit there and wait. And then again, instantly through. So yeah, um, but that should have told him, if he hasn't been told behind the scenes and he hasn't already figured it out, that that really should have told him the story he knows that he's never going to be able to take points from Verstappen, particularly Whoa. when Red Bull was so Whoa. worried about Ferrari. But yeah, it must be a bitter pill to swallow.
3: Well, they said but- they're going to have a conversation uh, later, so it will be interesting to, we'll probably not be privy to it. But what what I think is that Red Bull probably made certain chats and certain assurances when he was nowhere near Verstappen's pace. And I, I just get a feeling this season, no, he's not going to ultimately be you know out-qualifying Verstappen race after race event after event but, I, but he looks to have got a grip with this car and this tire model and it looks like he can do things on race pace especially if pirelli as i instructed them to turn up with more two-stop three-stop ra- races i think perez is a genuine asset but also a genuine danger to his competitors on the track
2: i think the issue for perez as well is you know if he doesn't like the situation at red bull where's he going to go He's not going to go anywhere else. There's no other team that will take him at this point, especially at his age.
3: Oh, wow. Um,
2: Harsh. And so he can he can either stay at Red Bull and occasionally fight for a win when something happens to Max, or he can give up and, and try something else if he wants to.
4: John. That's where I'm thinking if Perez starts to become a bit of a jerk and goes, well, I don't want to be number two anymore. I want to start beating Verstappen who can Red Bull go and get? That's number two. And he is replaceable, yes, for sure. But also Perez is doing such a good job in that role that I hope Red Bull begin to manage and be like, well, look, we need to manage Perez here because he's done such a great job supporting Verstappen to his first world title. We need him to keep doing the
3: same things for these next few years. All right. Well, I mean, we've covered Red Bull in some depth there and touched upon some of the woes of Ferrari and the great performance from George Russell. But there, there were two other drivers in the silver and red cars as well. I, I think let's go to the Mercedes race. I think both drivers really, really impressed today, as, as did the team. And in the last news show, I said, yeah, well, it was from an engineering point of view. It was time for Mercedes to put up and shut up. The time for chats was over, if they didn't turn up to the Spanish Grand Prix with a package that could be competitive, it was done. And that was kind of ruined on turn one. They halved their chances of getting a win where Lewis Hamilton ended up colliding with Kevin Magnussen allowing us to play this game.
2: Whose fault is it?
3: So, here at Missed Apex Podcast... We do not acknowledge any such thing as a racing incident. There is always someone mostly to blame. Turn three, uh, Lewis Hamilton found himself choked up behind Carlos Sainz. And then into turn four, Kevin Magnussen was able to make a run around the outside. Whose fault was it? I will go to my panel. Jono.
4: It's as simple as this. Okay. Rational mindset first. So... No. Magnussen's gone and made a a great move and he's tried to go around the outside. But the problem is, as the overtaking driver, you're responsible to take the most care in placing the overtake. Now, he's gone and squeezed Hamilton with no margin for error. What Magnussen should be doing is leaving a bit of space to say, hey, Hamilton could make a mistake here. He could understeer. He could have some oversteer. He hasn't left that margin for error. Hamilton's done nothing wrong. I don't think he's washed himself wide on purpose as as Magnussen claimed. I think that's a heat of the moment, sort of tongue in cheek kind of thing. I don't know what Magnussen was talking about there. Yeah, I I think it was purely a racing incident, but definitely more fault on on Magnussen's side for not taking more care and and space in making the
3: overtake. Kyle.
0: Yeah, I agree with, John there, I think racing incident was the correct assessment by the stewards from a stewarding point of How view. But from you. our
3: point of view, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say it's K Mag's fault. And there's a couple of things to consider here that one that John A's briefly touched on um was when you were the inside driver there. And if you see where K-Mag is going into the corner with Hamilton, K-Mag's quite far back. It is it is a massive lunge down the outside. It is quite a move. Hamilton, probably not even aware he's there. He's not certainly not checking, looking on his outside. He's fully focused on trying to get rid of the air and not run into the back of Carlos Sainz and trying to set him up for the exit. So that's why he said, I've been hit. Not I've run into somebody. It's like I've been hit because he's probably not even aware. The problem, The first he knew about it, was when K Mag actually hit him. So, and when you're going around the outside like that, particularly if it's a lunge and you're coming from fully behind to then side by side, you need to allow a bit of room on the inside because it's the first lap. The cars are heavy. There's a lot of aero wash. Expect the car on the inside to run, to run wide ever so slightly. And he left absolutely zero margin.
2: Yeah, I was very surprised the amount of damage that it did to oh, Lewis's yeah. car when you consider that Russell and Perez had their own bit of contact at turn one and probably was a harder hit, actually. And they both got away um, scot-free. But, you know, it's, it's a shame because Lewis was the strategic uh, variant there, starting on yes. the medium tyre. We never got to see how that panned out. But that's the risk of starting on that tyre. Yeah. Because the soft tyres will get fired up straight away. Everyone's got a lot more grip around you. There was a risk he was going to get swallowed up, caught up in an incident. And it obviously happened. today, it didn't pan out.
3: Yeah, and uh, well, I want to defend Magnuson a little bit here. Whereas I agree that it's Magnuson's fault, I I, I do agree that it's mostly Magnuson's fault that that turn, and this is why I, I teed this up earlier, Kyle. You have to to get that corner correct and to be on the power the whole time. You need to have your line early. So Magnuson would have found himself in a position with an unnaturally slowing. Lewis Hamilton, who was having to check up and be in the in the the wash of of, of signs and and have having and being limited by signs ahead, Magnussen finds himself on the outside with nowhere to go. As a racer, his options there were to break. And I know people are saying he should have left more room, but going outside and leaving more room at turn four in Barcelona is the same as breaking because you're not going to make. That corner in one big acceleration sweep. So Magnussen was really faced in the heat of the moment, a, a situation where he just found himself in the position to get alongside Hamilton. And we're all expecting him to to just lift, which he should have done to avoid the incident. But he didn't, he, it was almost an accidental overtake. He found himself there and then tried to pursue the natural overtaking line. Chris, then Kyle.
2: Right, okay, yeah, but it doesn't really matter if you're caught up in the pack or not, you can't turn yeah. in when there's a car alongside you yeah. and expect there to not be contact. Yeah,
3: yeah. Also it's savage to say that Hamilton drifted out into into Magnuson because you don't hug the you know, the curb yeah. necessarily there and he was very far over to the right
2: anyway. That was ludicrous. Yeah. I like, I'm
3: yeah. So sad he said that. What, are you talking about the commentary team?
2: No, no, the Magnuson said it. I like K Mag, but yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. not mm, not kosher
0: kyle yeah i was going to say his comment immediately afterwards was was ridiculous it was stupid. <laughs> it was yeah it was a bit silly why, why but again, would he deliberately where, yeah exactly why on earth would you mm. would you do that it's the same thing of agent newey's making has made a couple of ridiculous comments saying that lewis did a professional foul at Silverton, of course you're not going to do that because you're going to hurt your own race so why on earth mm. would you try to do something like that now magazine he had a metre or two on the left-hand side. What I think he really didn't want to do was get anywhere near the dirty outside bit of the track. So he was leaning up against Lewis and he tried to squeeze him as much as he possibly could, but he just took a little bit too much. We're talking fine margins here. And cold tyres, yeah. Yeah, and cold tyres and aero wash in front of them. So this is why I think it was a correct call by the race stewards Mm. to not bother looking into it because you could see what he was trying to do. He just slightly misjudged it and tried to squeeze a bit too much. Last one, Chris?
2: Well, that being said, what a recovery drive from Lewis Hamilton, though. I mean, getting, what was he, 50 seconds off the lead? I mean, he was last, for sure, having to uh, replace the tyre at the end of lap one. So effectively, then, was on a two-stop to the end of the race and still brought it home in a very, very competitive uh, position, had great pace. I think we were 100% looking at Lewis Hamilton as a podium contender, maybe even <gasps> challenging one of the balls with whisper whisper something it. further up because Mercedes no. has definitely improved its race pace. qualifying pace is still a little to be desired, but in the race, they're getting that. A uh, counter from
3: our angry young Australian? <laughs>
4: no, I, I, think, I think Lewis's pace was incredible today, but I think that the Red Bulls were too far ahead. They were by far the quickest car. The Ferraris, definitely, definitely right today. I mean, Lewis even challenged science and he was last on what was it, the first lap or whatever. So, yes, he definitely had the Ferraris. But um, looking at his race pace, incredible. That was insane stuff. And I know people are going to comment and be like, oh, all you guys talk about is compliment." Lewis Hamilton and his great race. But it's like, look at his pace. It was incredible. You know, he had some great lap times. Russell was superb today. That's by far the best driver pairing on the grid.
3: Well, well, Total Wolf said that Hamilton had the best race pace on the grid. And I I was Mm. watching the lap times all the way through. And in the first stint, when he got his head down, and that was so sad to hear that, oh, God. He obviously felt responsible. He felt like he'd let the team down having that contact. And he's gone, oh, God, just... Don't worry about me. Just, say, just save the engine. Here I am, talent the size of a planet, and I've let you all down. Just save the engine and, and, let, and, and let me go. And, and the race engineers just calmly said, No, at this point's keep on going. That first stint, it didn't look very encouraging because he had to go onto the, the softs and make them last and eat them out. But when he went onto his second stint, he was popping, I think he was one of the first cars to pop into the 26s, uh, and he was, he was lighting it up with the purples, Kyle.
0: Yeah, there was um, it was consecutive laps as well that he was knocking in the fastest laps, so they weren't sort of save your battery up specials either. Mm. They were, it it was genuine race pace. And as Chris touched on earlier, it was such a tragedy we didn't get to see him on the alternate strategy. So, and I think this adds to him feeling responsible, as you say, and apologising because I think he knew starting on those mediums. I think he was quietly confident today of being able to take the fight for maybe, maybe for the win. Because, as lots of people have mentioned, he was he'd actually clawed time before his problem at the end. He actually clawed time back on Verstappen throughout the race. And the actual race pace was incredible. And I think why he was slow in the first stint was he knew he was going long on those softs. So he was being really gentle on them, very gentle on them. And just to touch on his radio comment, when he made that radio comment, he he was still trying to get a broken car back to the pits, I think, or he'd just come out. The rest of the pack he couldn't even see. He was thirty-eight seconds behind the next car and he was like, This is impossible to score points. And of course, you get your head little, you get your head down. As soon as they told him, No, we reckon we can still get points, he suddenly came back to life again. But yeah, I admit, he was he was gutted. But I think that's because he was quite confident. I think that's because he knew he had some mega pace under him.
3: Yeah. But if that was Russell, that would have been a safety car, eh, Jono? It would have helped Russell the safety <laughs> car. <laughs> the The conspiracy theory. Oh, do we go? Do we go down that path? Forty five no, consecutive that. safety car races, <laughs> and just this one without.
4: Well, I I will bring up Imola last year, and Lewis Hamilton did have that red flag. No. But anyway, um, so <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that was super lucky. <laughs> he he did get a lot of luck through that one. Now, uh, number one, can I just go to what, what should I start with? Let's go with the, the strategy. So Lewis has tried Russell's Miami strategy, which was very good, and Russell had a great race. So that was number one. That's why he was very disappointed. Number two, like, are we just getting to know Lewis Hamilton or what? Like, come on, this guy's worn his heart on his sleeve for 15 years. Like, why are people acting like this is new? Yeah, it's a good
3: point. However, (laughs) however, if you're hoping for a Lewis Hamilton resurgence, the next race is Monaco. And as a Lewis Hamilton fan, I can't remember the last time we had a good, when was the last time we had a good Monaco and everything went well, Chris? It it seems to me (laughs) like everything always seems to crumble at Monaco.
2: Well, he won in 2019. That was ages ago. Stop I living what? in
3: the past, Chris. Pre-pandemic.
2: The, they didn't have the race in 2020, so they it couldn't. Oh, right. but, I, but I, I, I feel you there because okay. the Mercedes didn't look fantastic in quality trim in that final sector, which is the the slower part of the lap. And that doesn't really bode all that well for Monaco. Um, Just to confirm, uh, it was a water leak on both cars at the end of the race, which is why they're having to do the mad lifting coast. Um, for Russell, it didn't make any difference to his position, but of course it didn't cost Lewis that fourth place finish.
4: Can I, can I add to that as well is, look, I don't want to go into Monaco too early because we still got to review Mercedes race, but the whole porpoising issue for Mercedes, and I go, well, we're going to a low speed track at Monaco, porpoising sort of affects the car more in high speed corners and all that kind of stuff. Honestly, like Mercedes could go very well at Monaco. Like we saw last year with a surprise Ferrari result, we could see Monaco very good for Mercedes. But back to this race, um, Lewis, look, he said that on the opening laps. He's going to cop flack for it. He said it his yeah. entire career, he wears his heart in his sleeve. Yeah. Let's move on. The guy had a great race.
3: But but what Hamilton says isn't always a massive indicator of, of then what he's going to do. It's not always predictive of results. Oh, man, these tires are gone. Then sets the fastest lap. He he is emotional. He is down on himself. He he does express himself in this kind of heart on his sleeve way. And whilst Verstappen's style might be more screaming down the radio uh, about the amount of times he's pressed a button, a record amount of times, uh, Paul Resta said. Lewis Hamilton wears that kind of more that negative energy that he gets he just gets it out and he expresses it and he says it and if Verstappen's engineers are used to his style then you know Hamilton's engineers are probably used to the kind of the the shoulders down head down uh Hamilton uh, but you could you could see Carl, that you know he did get over that it didn't result in him just just parking it
0: no and you could see in his interviews at the end of the race he was quite sort of buoyed and you can see that for the glint yeah. back in the yeah, eye, and yeah. he's quietly confident because he he knew he had monster race pace today, and he was probably ruining. He, I think if if he would have got away, especially on that alternate strategy, I think he definitely could have troubled maybe Verstappen and Leclerc. Definitely would have been a nailed on third. But I don't think we we may have seen the last of Moody Lewis for this uh, for this <laughs> season now. I Hopefully. think he's now quietly confident. I'll,
3: and, I'll take that and back to I think that's quite well, a brave bet, <laughs> <laughs> John Jono. <laughs>
4: So, if you look at the six races so far, it's sort of been three for Russell, three for Hamilton. It, they've been so even, you know, you, you, I, I don't want to actually go list all six races, but if sure. you've actually looked at who's been quicker on pace, it's been pretty even so far. So, um, I think in the Spanish race, yeah, Russell performed really well. I'll give this race to Russell. That makes it three apiece. But Hamilton's pace on the, on the lap time sheets, that's something to look out
3: for. Mm-hmm. That was very, very impressive for the future. I would just go a little bit simpler than that and say they both had very impressive races for different reasons. If anything, after the Magnussen incident, Hamilton had a much easier race and could show pace more clearly. Obviously, Russell had to use up tyres for that brilliant defence. So I know there was people going, oh, well, look, Hamilton closed up to within 11 seconds from 50 seconds. That doesn't tell the story of the race. Russell had a much harder time of it on the tyres and and fighting. and And, and to be honest... Russell's covered himself in in glory completely this race, but Hamilton has shown a a quiet strength in his car as well.
0: Yeah. And as Chris alluded to earlier, um, he essentially did it on a two-stop. He would have been the only person in the first, in the top six actually to make a two-stop work. I think Leclerc probably would have two-stopped if he hadn't have retired, but Hamilton pitted on that one off the soft tyre, um, off the medium. He then went on to his soft tyres, and then got a mammoth I think it was 21 laps out of them, And then a really nice um, medium stint as well. So it was essentially a two stop and he was still quick and still had tire life. So he did say the setups were slightly different. They tried, they experimented with George in qualifying. So maybe George's tires munched a little bit, but how much the tire wear is there and the pace is there. So roll on another representative track. I know people like us calling
3: representative tracks. <laughs> it's not Monaco, is it? Very briefly, because we've touched on some of these these talking points already. But obviously, devastating for Ferrari. Like, I am sorry. Listen to me, Toffosi. Listen to the sound of my voice falling upon your ears. Years ago, right? If that had been felt in twenty seventeen or Alonso or Schumacher, I would have taken a little bit of joy in in that failure. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not too big. I'm not claiming the moral high ground that I wouldn't have done today. I felt that because you know Leclerc picked himself up after that Q3 spin and delivered a lap delivered a lap but 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 really that Q3 spin indicative of where Leclerc may go wrong in this title hunt needs to cut that out putting himself under unnecessary pressure with a pole sitting car pulled it out of the bag this time well done but Ferrari need to be perfect to beat Red Bull and it's not happening but my heart did break when he had that power loss, because I do think that that was a very, very comfortable lead. I cannot imagine the race circumstance where on pace and strategy alone, Red Bull caught up uh, to, to them. Of course, Verstappen made a mistake. Sines made a mistake. Uh, Hamilton got himself caught up in an incident. Perez and got himself uh, stuck behind George Russell and hit George Russell. So in that pack... Leclerc had done everything right and was going to win, Chris. And and I was crushed for him. Genuinely, Fosi, Genuinely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he's so emotional on the radio. I don't, how many times have we heard that that cry of defeat? Oh. No! Every from, from every, Monaco, every Monaco, Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he's already been to Monaco in this, the yep, louder the car. So at the, at the Historic. So maybe he's ticked his pox for this year. But, uh, you know, that Q3... Classic Charles Leclerc mental fortitude. Put that at the back of the mind. Go out, bang in pole position. That's just brilliant stuff. And the kind of thing we see from Charles Leclerc is one of his biggest strengths: is his mental fortitude to just get the job done. Of course, the obvious one I always think of was that tragic weekend when his father died when he was in Formula Two in, in Baku, and he went out and just absolutely dominated the field. And um, you're you're right. How many times does it happen where all the dominoes were just falling into place for him? Hamilton, the strategic variant, got knocked out. His nearest rivals crumbling like clay. It it just doesn't happen. And, you know, this was an easy win that was taken away from him.
4: Poor, poor Ferrari. Spanners. Honestly, this is not a joke. When <laughs> yeah. when the race finished, I actually said to myself, "Should I make fun of Ferrari on today's podcast, or no. should I actually show sympathy for the first time in a decade?" And I'm actually sympathetic for him. I feel sorry for Ferrari. Finally, a car that can win a championship, and they've had one of the worst starts to a season. I think the la- I think I remember Red Bull in 2010 had a really good car, and they just had such poor performances to begin the year this is like that now they went on to win the title so that's that's the silver lining that we paint for ferrari fans but if you rank the top six drivers from these top three teams and who's done the best in terms of maximizing their their season it's been russell definitely number one leclerc fits in the top three somewhere but science is last yeah like what a terrible start in the best car
3: you we know? can't we can't sugarcoat this can we guys? like it has been mistake after mistake uh, uh, probably the Australian Grand Prix was you know one of the early ones, and you go you, oh. you, you chalk those up to to experience and you go, okay, it's time to pick yourself up and move on, Kyle but
0: he i mean he hasn't no he hasn't, and oh, I've sat here on this podcast in front of many people and rooted for him, and i oh, no, rooting, I rooting think lots him.
3: of people are rooting for yeah. him, yeah,
0: um, and it's such a shame that he that yeah he just he just isn't putting it together and with the anti-stall on the start i'm wondering whether there's feeling the pressure a little bit and it's just mounting is, is
3: anti-stall a driver error or a mechanical error uh, i think it's
0: probably a driver error probably not enough revs when he dropped the clutch and he instantly reacted if you just dip the clutch in again or the car reacted but yeah i i think i'd probably put that down to driver error and the team hasn't come out and said that it was a car issue so maybe a bit jittery at the start but yeah, as Chris said, I think that's the final nail in the coffin. Him now he's going to be the nailed on number two. And as Bonotto said, he just said Carlos is struggling to deal with running an aggressive balance like Leclerc can. And he, they just think it's Leclerc who's driving much better than him than Carlos driving badly. So he has pretty much painted himself as the set on number two now. I just really hope for his sake and his confidence sake, he can he can snatch a win by the end of the season. He's becoming like a Barrichello in Braun 2009 Type sort of driver. I think hopefully he'll just catch a win by the end of the season.
2: It's amazing how quickly our perceptions of these drivers can change because pre season, a lot of people were backing science to challenge Leclerc for the title um, this year, especially after such an impressive maiden season at Ferrari last year. His stock was very high, but it is so quickly. Here we are, three months later. And we've got a, just a completely opposite viewpoint of this Leclerc science. Well, I uh, remember
3: debate. you, Matt and Kyle having that viewpoint. I remember that a lot. Yeah. I don't remember me and Jono having that, that viewpoint. A lot of people did. Oh. A lot of people.
4: <laughs> well, who were these people? Like the whole paddock or something. I don't remember this yeah. happening. I've always, I've always thought Leclerc was by far way better than than Carlos Sainz. Like Carlos Sainz is tremendous, but that's how good Leclerc is a generational talent. Let's let's put it like that. But going back to what Kyle said, like, okay, Sainz has struggled in the car, but Leclerc has as well. Imola, that stupid spin he had. You look at the spinning qualifying. He's had some other moments as well. Like Leclerc hasn't had it easy.
3: That car might be a difficult car to drive. It might be. And also, I think you might be being a bit premature calling Leclerc a generational talent. Uh, Sauber, who was oh. his teammate at Sauber? Ericsson. Yeah. And then Vettel, who really hasn't been the same since the hybrid era. Has he really proved himself?
4: I have this feeling though, not feeling, I have this theory that anybody who wins Formula 2 or GP2 back in the day in their first year of competition generally is a generational talent. So, you've got um, Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg, George Russell, there's somebody else in there, Nico Hülkenberg, let's forget about that. But there's been a lot of other guys who are very good. And that's that's my theory on that. Norris, yeah, Norris, I think, did did he do
3: f Uh, He did F2,
2: Yeah. Not, well, no, he, he did it, three. but he didn't win it. Oh, he, yeah, didn't, he didn't win it. it. No, that he, was it he was in the team. Russell
3: season, though. So, yeah, yeah, same with Albon. Yeah, uh, uh, Kyle. Sorry.
0: Uh, yeah, with this, and I was vouching for sites to come out on top purely from not making a little mistakes. I mean, Leclerc has been known for it. Thinking, thinking, Baku 2019, and the oh Charles comment over the uh, radio where he it in qualifying, and as. John, I said, yeah, we saw his, we have seen some little mistakes this season. They just haven't been so bad, but I fully agree. I think the Ferrari is a very difficult car to drive. It's bouncing more than any other car. It just happens to be quick. And Carlos is struggling with it. And every race that goes by where he's still struggling to, to match Leclerc. And I think his qualifying performances, as he said in Bahrain, he said he was lost in Bahrain, but just pulled out a decent lap just to quickly, just to get himself up there and qualifying. And then he's just slipped back in every single race. We haven't seen him strong in a single race yet. And every race that goes by, it just snowballs and gets worse. So he really needs a strong result.
4: And and what I've noticed as well is that Ferrari is obviously very quick in qualifying. Like it's almost a Saturday car compared to Sunday. So have they set that car up to be pointy and very good on one lap, but it doesn't save the tie as well. It's not good to drive over long distances. That could be a problem too.
3: Yeah. Every race where Verstappen is not conked out, I, I think in all those races, have, has Leclerc been on pole? And then Verstappen has chewed him up on on pace and tyre wear. So, you know, that's not very encouraging. We're yet to see the Ferraris go out and just beat them on pace in a race, aren't we?
2: I think Bahrain maybe, mm. but of course the Red Bull then was not as optimised as it is now. I think Ferrari had a bit more of a jump on uh, the the rest of the field mm. compared to to now for example where i would i would comfortably say the red bull is probably the best car in in the races but the general consensus the theme i'm seeing is that the ferrari is very quick in, in qualifying so you'll get a leclerc on pole but the red bull will hunt them down in the races
0: yeah and i think that's correct the red bull definitely looks like the faster race car but that's why it's a bit irritating we It's why Verstappen's mistake is almost a bit irritating because it was just I was looking forward to how it was brewing up with Leclerc like have Ferrari with these new upgrades got on top of their tire wear and can he go in a head straight fight with Verstappen and it was brewing up for that and we got denied to see the chance and Leclerc ended up doing a monster stint because he was allowed to by the George Russell battle and the Cork in the Red Bull bottle and couldn't get through so we didn't get a good a good view of how if ferrari have got on top of their tire wear so they may well have done like if you looked Mm. purely on paper it would indicate that but i don't think that's necessarily the case so we're going to have to wait until canada and baku until
3: we actually know whether their upgrades have worked properly okay we've got to move on because obviously we want to stay under our one hour strict time limit we do believe that an hour is the optimal time that you will want to listen we we try to Kind of make this around your commute, so we don't want to, you know, go on and 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 have this going on so long that you cannot listen to it once you get home and you've got responsibilities like stupid children to look after. But there was <laughs> more than six cars in this grid. Uh, I was really really disappointed to see Ricardo just getting swallowed up by by mm. Norris, so Norris got uh, disqualified from Q two. So did he start 15th? Yeah, Q2 was the track limit, so he didn't make it into Q3.
2: Well, he didn't get disqualified. He, well, he, <laughs> got, the, he, he the, got the lap, lap deleted. Yeah. yeah, he would have been in Q3 otherwise. All right. It worked out the same,
3: yeah. Mr. <laughs> Actually. My goodness. Okay. So what I'm saying is he got that lap time deleted, which was very unfortunate, and people are saying, well, why not just let the gravel be the track limits? Because there's not gravel at every track. Do you know what is at every track? The white line. So that's good. Let's just
2: keep uh, the white line. Yes, although I do agree. They probably should just move that gravel like two inches forward <laughs> and then it's a non-issue at all. But, but do you know what? What a job by Lando Norris. Not only did he mince Daniel Ricciardo today, he raced with tonsillitis that got diagnosed after the race. Oh, what dear. a stellar job.
3: Okay, COVID, you mean? I, I thought
2: it no, was COVID. No, it was tonsillitis. was it now?
3: Okay. All right, fair enough. Was it not hay fever? Are you sure?
2: No, I'm pretty pretty sure it was diagnosed um, uh, by a
3: doctor. Okay, so. fine, fine, Kyle. I was about to say, um, the battle was so good at
0: the front and it was so intriguing that I kind of took my eye off the midfield a little bit. But I think yeah. was some yeah, great, yeah, no, I think we all did. Yeah, great stand up, stand up performers there. We had obviously we had Norris gutted about Ricardo's struggles. That's one of the biggest surprises. on the grid he has gone back to his first year last year at McLaren, and the struggles didn't look good at all. Um. But Sonoda had a really strong race as well, getting up into the points. And he managed to completely out, outpace Gasly
3: all weekend. That's nice to see. Was
2: that was that genuine, Chris, do you think? I, I think so. Yuki's really turned a corner. Um, and I think all the lessons that that red bull and uh, and alpha tower were trying to beat into him almost last season they're, they're starting to take effect and we're starting to see a a, a fully utilized yuki Sonoda. and i will say that gasly i think he was carrying a little bit of damage after his incident with uh, stroll so oh wait a minute there there was, there was, was wait, wait, what? what what happened with stroll there was an incident with stroll
3: whose fault is it whose fault was it Okay, okay. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say stroll. Uh, any other counters to that? Uh, Jono. John, <laughs> Is that a muscle memory? <laughs> yeah, yeah, say yeah, stroll's was, fault. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it was. Yeah. Send your emails to Jono at Australia.com.
4: <laughs> uh, I'm not going to comment on it. I can't be okay, bothered uh, on that midfield buff. incident. Oh. Wow.
3: Kyle.
0: This one, I'm afraid to say spanners. I think it's pretty much 100% on Gasly. Um, Gasly even admitted it at the end of the race. Um, I don't know whether it was Stroll trying to overtake him or he was trying to, um, or he was defending or whether he was trying to overtake Stroll, but it was a bit like the Verstappen and Russell into turn one around the outside. Stroll tried to go around the outside. There should have been space for him. Gasly understeered into him and clouted him. He's ended up with two points on his license and got a retrospective, or no, I think he got a five second penalty in race for it as well, which curtailed any mm. chance of points. But I think Yuki had him beat then
3: anyway. But it was clearly this time not Stroll's fault. Oh, here we, we go. go. Here we go. Gen Z wants back in.
2: Well, no, I mean, I don't. Oh, I meant think... Jono.
3: You're not Gen Z. You're like a millennial, aren't you? Oh, you oh sorry. <laughs> We're the <laughs> same so age, just aren't look we?
2: The same. Oh, you're the same age. Well, oh, my
3: goodness. Right. Watch the YouTube uh, version, you audio listeners, and 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 see why I got confused. Jono.
4: Oh, handsome, handsome blokes on the YouTube version. But <laughs> uh, look. Um, Has Bottas become Gasly last year or something? Like, what's going on? You know, Gasly, remember, used to be that best midfield driver, best of the rest, and Bottas is just sort of like, what the hell? What what happened to Gasly? I don't remember this Gasly from from last year. It might be the new car.
2: So I don't think the car is quite up to snuff yet, but on Bottas, right, the thing is we all forget Bottas is is a great racing driver. He just had the misfortune of being Lewis Hamilton's teammate for five or six years or however long. It was. You're always going to look like a numpty next to Lewis Hamilton. So now that he's in an environment where he can excel, we are finally seeing the best of him. And that Alfa Romeo is a very good car as well. It must be said it was great at the start of the season. They had a great upgrade package for Barcelona as well. And it's just firing on all cylinders at the moment.
0: Yeah, what a fantastic race from from Bottas he did the two stops, so he got absolutely rinsed at the end otherwise he could have been fourth even it was looking incredible and yeah we do forget I think I've even said on this podcast that he's kind of damaged goods coming out of Mercedes but it's still the same driver you know he's the same driver going in he was a hotly you know when he's still in the Williams everyone's like hotly tipped potential future world champion it's just being Lewis Hamilton's teammate, damaged his sort of stock, so to speak. But he's still an amazing driver. He was was an amazing driver. But, yeah, what an absolute, what an absolutely brilliant race from him. And, again, he was all over his teammate. Joe struggled to get anywhere near him. And given the right strategy, Bottas could have been fourth today.
4: Every week, I sort of rank Alpha to be the fourth quickest car. Now, if it wasn't for Bottas, I feel like they'd be the seventh quickest car or whatever based on, on Zoe's performances. So Bottas has extracted so much potential out of that car. Um, it's very, very impressive. Now, Chris, remember last year we talked about um, I wasn't a fan of Sonoda because I said, look, I, I just thought it was bad, you know, last year to, to begin the year. But he sort of turned it around this year and I'm very impressed. Can Guan Yu Zoe do the same thing?
2: I think he can. I think he's he's been a little bit unlucky in the early stages and of course he's got so much to learn and to adapt to um as well. Um this seemed like a bit of an off weekend it must be um said but you know I'm we're going to take each race as as it comes and I expect him to be on an upward trajectory.
3: All right, you're not going to like this guys.
2: Ah yep yeah.
3: feedback at mistapex.net spanners at mistapex.net. You're not going to like this. Here you we can go. Also follow me at spanners ready. You can follow John at what? What's your Twitter handle? It's terrible.
4: It's at Johnny S <laughs> eight, and John, it's so bad. It's yeah. so bad, Spanners, that somebody's actually taken Johnny S. So oh, I have right, to put okay. the A to Johnny
3: S eight, okay? And at Carl Power F one and at Chris on Racing. All our links to Twitter and stuff, and and and, and to follow us and to subscribe to us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. It's all in the show notes below, as is our email addresses, Spanners at Mist I think you guys are, are mad. As a lot of our chat room are pointing out, Russell is showing what you can do in the second Mercedes. Russell is showing what you can do against Lewis Hamilton if you're a legit top flight talent. Bottas was found wanting at Mercedes, was never able to establish himself as a a number one. He is now being flattered by a rookie borderline buy-in driver. He's got a great car underneath him and he's not maximising. I think you put seven of the grid in that Alfa Romeo, and they do better than Valtteri Bottas. Chris? I think maybe George Russell is just the next Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> well, so you're saying he's like a generational yep. talent and you can't expect Bottas. he Yeah, but, but you're meant to... This is the pinnacle of motorsport. This isn't like the happy, clappy, F1 rainbow, unicorn, dancey, F1 club. This is the elite F1 motorsport. You You can't get your shot at Mercedes and, and do what Bottas did and then be immediately shown up and still expect your reputation
2: to survive. Right. But the issue is those generational talents, there's only ever like two or three of them ever in Formula One at any one time. We've got 20 spaces on the grid. and That is just how good these people are. The rest of the grid are still sensational racing drivers.
4: It, I, I totally agree where I, I have the theory where I call them five-star drivers who are your Schumachers, Hamiltons, your Russells, your Verstappens, those kind of guys. Now, your four and a half stars are your Rosbergs, your Norrises, your that that just step behind that are really, really good and world championship material, but they're not that. Are you going to finish your career at top five all time? And Russell has the potential to do that if he finds the right car. The,
3: the sad thing is for me is a lifelong motorsport enthusiast and fan is if you made the F1 feeder series and the tier and the journey to F1 about driver talent, and not about money, if you could somehow finance that pyramid of motorsport so that you looked at the kids that were were doing grassroots karting and picked out the ones with the talent, every single driver on the grid would be Lewis Hamilton, Verstappen level or above. There shouldn't really be the room for your four-star and your three-star. This is the elite of motorsport. F1 should have 20 or 26, preferably, five-star drivers on the grid.
2: Well, they've got 17 so okay that'll <laughs> i don't think so i don't do. think they have how many five, five star okay drivers. okay okay.
3: quickly before we go to the podium how many five-star drivers are there on this f1 grid hamilton verstappen yeah. leclerc okay where are Ooh, we going leclerc. i
4: russell. thought you said he wasn't generational ah, he's, un, he's unproven
3: but i'm just saying he's <laughs> at the moment he seems like a five-star driver but where, where are, yeah. are the five-star drivers on the grid russell Russell, Russell. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's four. It.
2: Great. Yeah, yeah. That is it. The rest of them are four and a half. There you go. Then... So that's
3: four out of twenty. It's not great. <laughs> in, in, even Latifi. <laughs> it's
1: no, not I'm great, just kidding. Guys. By the way, let's
3: move on to the podium. <laughs> so at the end of the 2022 Spanish Grand Prix, my lasting feeling about the race is I had a very, very good time watching this grand prix and i wasn't expecting it it was a surprise and the the new generation of cars this new regulation series is still under the the watchful eye of the the jury of whether they have achieved what they wanted to i'm really optimistic that this generation of formula one cars is on a path to creating better racing now if you remember 2014 the start of the hybrid era if you were basing the future of F1 on that season alone, you would have scrapped the hybrid concept and got rid of them forever. And I know some people still want to. But for 2022 to launch with with these cars with specific aims in mind in the first season of a, of a new philosophy of trying to create better racing, I, I think it it is definitely in the zone where there's potential for success. If you can make a Spanish Grand Prix pop Like that, I think there's a lot of potential yet in this sport and in this formula. Pirelli have got a big part to play, but also the people who planned this formula years out and planned this regulation change to look at how the aerodynamics work, to look at having cars being able to follow, to have Verstappen and Perez be able to stay on the back of George Russell and yet still have George Russell able to defend, often against DRS. That mix is possibly some of the best F1 that I've seen in my in my uh, fandom of watching Formula One. I think there's a lot to feel positive about. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think there is a lot to feel optimistic about. So this is the part of the show where we give out some awards and we are sat in a shed and an office and a sofa. So who are we to really judge people? But we're going to do it anyway. But we start with the very positive award. (laughs) And that is The Thing of the Weekend. So we get to start off being super positive, guys. Who would like to go first? Everyone wants to go first. Let's go with Jono from Australia, at JonoS8 on Twitter. What's your thing well, of the Well, sort week? of. Oh, no, no.
4: <laughs> J- J-O-N-N-Y-E-S-S-8. Let's never speak of that uh, until the next podcast. Yeah. So my thing of the weekend, uh, the pear-flavoured Red Bulls. Number one, never heard of them before. <laughs> And the fact that they exist for this very reason, to make fun of Aston Martin, is my thing of the week. Uh, weekend,
3: amazing. Absolutely amazing. Aston Martin rolled out with what looked like a Red Bull clone. So a couple of things to come out of that. Firstly, you didn't clone it very well because they were, where did they finish? Like 12th,
2: 13th? uh, Vettel was 11th, very close to the point. But apparently, this upgrade package has really compromised their cooling. Oh. What a terrible day to have that issue.
3: Yeah, on one of the hottest races. So maybe we'll see uh, better things out of this uh, Aston Martin upgrade in more cooler climates. I mean, we're going to Canada in a couple of weeks where, I mean, there are polar bears in Canada, I think. I don't really, I'm not a geography guy. However, they did prove to the FIA, uh, to the FIA's satisfaction, that they hadn't copied Red Bull's design. And in fact, they were able to show that this concept had been in the wind tunnel in November. Therefore, Red Bull copied Aston Martin. There we go. It's true. Kyle, what was your thing of the weekend?
0: My thing of the weekend was for the second year running, we had an exciting Barcelona Grand Prix. Oh. Mul- multiple
3: stop races. Yeah, because Barcelona for ages had that reputation of you are, it's a procession, you're limited by the car, the cars would qualify in like team order, and it just hasn't been working out like that. And I I think, you know, the credit has to go a little bit to the latest regulation change.
0: Is this the new Hungary? Because Hungary was always a processional, boring, boring race, and now the Hungarian Grand Prix tends to be extremely dramatic. (laughs)
2: I'd say it was a Formula One issue at the time because I remember there being a bunch of really great Spanish Grand Prix um, for for quite a few years. Um, and then it was when the turbo hybrid era started and Mercedes just turned into a dominant force that it, it, it didn't really pan out. But in the early stages of the Pirelli era, for example, cracking races.
3: Yeah, but if you look at, those early F1 races that you're talking about they look like micro machines compared to the beasts Mm. on track right now but I
2: wasn't around in 91 when it was built so you weren't around when were you born? 97 (laughs) what? I know you were born in 1997 Jacques Villeneuve was champion the year I was born oh man I legit hate you no (laughs) Jono
4: I noticed today when I was watching the onboard shots, like the cars are so heavy, right? And it's like some people like that and yeah, it can help the racing, but I think it looks ugly, disgusting. They look like Porsche Carreras out there. They don't look like Formula One cars anymore. This Uh, is
2: supposed to be the positive section of the show, John. Yeah, I was going to say. Oh,
4: I'm very sorry. Very, very
2: sorry. I I get to go first. 6.30am.
3: All all I know (laughs) is that I get to go first for the negative one because everyone's going to steal mine. Chris, what was your thing of the weekend?
2: My (laughs) thing of the weekend is Huss's qualifying. Picture the scene. You're Mick Schumacher. You haven't made it into Q3 yet in your Formula One career. (laughs) Your brake disc explodes in FP3. You get no running done at all. And your team has to do an incredible job to rebuild that corner of the car in time for qualifying. Big box ticked there. But then, oh no, Kevin (laughs) Magnuson, his DRS isn't working all through qualifying. And yet they get both cars into Q3. What a job. Yeah, well done, Haas. Where did they finish? Right now, let me defend this. Okay, because <laughs> oh, they <here> we go. <laughs> found something with the floor. They suddenly were able to get loads of lap time out of it. It was working really well. And then they screwed it on strategy by leaving Mick out since lap 30 on the same set of tyres and then putting Magnussen on the hard tyres. What a terrible decision.
0: Yeah, they weren't strong yeah. and they were going backwards in the race, basically, Mick. I think even with a good strategy, I don't think they would have got points. It seems like it's, it was a qualifying car this weekend and not a race car
4: spanners not to steal the segment and and make it a Haas segment but uh maybe they were the thing of the weekend but the thing is i i I remember we spoke about this earlier in in our in our chat and we were talking about how well does Haas have any development money because they're going to start the season off strong like they usually do is that car going to get better Mm. or worse over the course of the seasons that's another interesting topic for another day well well, Well, i mean
3: chris you remember force india were very much in that vein for years weren't they
2: yeah, they didn't bring an upgrade to Barcelona. Their yeah. thing was just kind of a tweak in the setup. And um, the the next one they're, not, they're bringing isn't until Paul Ricard, like in, in July. So Jesus. it's going to be a while until <laughs> we see some significant progress being made with this car. But, you know, we've seen make one small tweak and suddenly the car comes alive. So, you know, they, they've still got good potential, I think. I'm giving my thing of the weekend to
3: George Russell for that defensive s- display like you have to have some pace as well you can't just park the bus at barcelona like you can at monaco it took pace it took ingenuity it took tactical nous and you have to go can can this guy actually race at the top level and i think he's answered those questions and and yes it was ultimately futile you could have looked ahead in the race at the relative paces and gone your battle with perez your battle with verstappen is futile you are better off actually just letting them go the the most sensible tactic would have been let those two go run your own race but he showed us that he is a fantastic racer and, and like i said earlier you know my my russell fandom grew three sizes within my chest over this weekend so he's my thing of the weekend but now we get to be all super negative with this award
2: No, you missed the Apex.
3: It's the Missed Apex Award. And I'm going to go first because I've got the feeling that everybody's got the same thought. So, I'm so sorry. I, I know the coverage is innovative. I know they're trying new things with all the different camera angles and the helmet cam and stuff. But are they trying to make me feel sick? I felt like Loki. I felt like Loki in that Avengers scene where the Hulk is just smashing him into the ground time after time after time. It was helmet cam, shaky cam, drone camera, and then that was okay until it did a sudden bank and made me feel ill. And then they did a spinning pit cam. So you're watching a pit stop and the camera (laughs) spins 360, Jono. And I was like, what are they trying to do to me?
4: The all right, the drone is new, but they've done that spinning pit cam for like 10, 15 years. They have done that for a while, right? And it's very sickening. I've they, never, I've seen it for years. Oh. I haven't done... You know what? I was actually surprised when they did that, because I'm like, they haven't done that since the Bernie Eccleston era oh, of F- on TV. TV.
3: All of it was horrible. But, Chris, I do respect the trying new stuff. All of that stuff could be great, and I appreciate some things. Uh, uh, pilots, and, and do it in the practice sessions, get good at it, but... It, Every time that drone banked, I wanted to throw stuff at my TV.
2: Right. I'm furious because <laughs> I put in the WhatsApp chat two days ago, I bagged Z the drone. I didn't see it.
3: I just didn't see, mini- it. I didn't, see you it. didn't see it. I didn't You're see not it. You're looking at
2: your own WhatsApp yeah, group. You made it. it. Can't prove it. Right. Anyway. <laughs> okay. I agree. Let's innovate. Okay. But that experiment never should have seen the light of day. They should have taken one look at it and decided we're not going to show this on telly this weekend because it was appalling it was low quality it was discolored it was not stabilized there was nothing on the screen the cars were just a tiny little dot going across the screen that is not coverage and the fact that they went back to it so many times was just an Uh, awful decision and they need to work on it before bringing it back big time i
0: fully i fully agree agree it was terrible and i couldn't believe i thought it was initially a mistake when they showed it in practice because the guy was just practicing it was almost like one of the producer's kids has brought a drone and oh, no, like, oh no god li- no, no, oh,
1: do it. oh little trash. jimmy's
0: brought a drone drone let him put it up and oh no don't put it on the coverage oh we've done it now and they, but as you said they kept putting it on and then during the race as well it's like oh come on especially after we've seen Rallycross do it so well. I I know
3: Mm. rallycross did it well, but because you've like gone after like the individual that that is doing the camera, I I just there's probably different restrictions on this than the rallycross. So you know, Steve was telling me about drone restrictions over tracks, and obviously the the health and safety and the the risk assessment and stuff. So this was probably like a first shot at doing it, a proof of concept, and and so the drone pilot was was flying to the brief, but like I cannot handle my fifty inch TV suddenly banking.
0: That's nothing against the drone pilot itself. It it's sounded the, very
3: personal. That's all the, Kyle. The, the equipment seemed subpar. It
0: was, yeah. Well, where did they get the drone from? Was it Argos? It didn't seem TV quality dronage. Fair enough, Chris. Mm.
2: Yeah. So the coverage itself, I, I found fine, but the drone, it really needs to go away. It, it just didn't need to see the light
3: of yeah. day. What I wouldn't um, want them to do, to do is feel pressured into not trying new stuff. I really appreciate yes. the new stuff. Okay, so enough of that negativity. Let's move on. Um, Chris, what's your Miss well, Apex no, award?
2: you Award? No, you need to come to me last. Fine, fine, I don't, fine. Know. Okay. I don't
3: know anymore. Oh, no, what's your uh, mistake? <laughs> <Apex> award?
2: <laughs> well, mine
4: works out perfectly because it's TV related. And I don't think anyone said this all, all season, I don't think on any review podcast, but that back-to-front grid graphic, like, it's like, oh, welcome to Formula One for this race. Starting 20th. Ooh, uh Alonso starting 21st. Oh, no, wait, sorry, 19th. And like, sorry, but who counts down? What the hell? What's going on there? And it reminded me of, remember when Formula One used to count down the laps? So you'd, we're watching the race, right? You flick on the TV and you're like, oh, it's lap four of,
3: of, of 60. <laughs> oh, no,
4: wait, it's the end of the race. Yeah, 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 oh, my yeah, God, yeah, yeah. I missed everything. You know? Yeah, always go in
3: chronological it. order. Yeah. Ugh, terrible, um, terrible. Kyle. <laughs> What was your Missed Apex Award? I
0: have a couple. One of them has just flown out of my head annoyingly. But so I'll have to go to my reserve one, which was the rumours of terrible, terrible... organisation on the circuit's part. Yeah, apparently. being yeah. left in queues for hours without water and passing out. So I did have a more humorous and lighthearted one than that, but, but I forgot to do soon as I went live. Down.
3: Um, to follow that, by the way, go and follow Jenny Gao on, on Twitter. Um, she's been tracking this spectator problem, and a lot of people apparently that paid for F1 fan experiences have, had been really messed around. So I think follow Jenny to to see what happened there.
2: Chris! What's your uh, what's your
3: missed Apex award, Chris?
2: I can't even pick Haas' strategy because I already went in detail about it. So I will go for Alpine reliability. It is round six and Fernando Alonso is already taking engine penalties. That is concerning.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for the Mist Apex uh, Barcelona race review. Do follow my panel, uh, Jono, Jonathan Simón. I always get that right. Did I get that right?
4: Yes. Not Simone. Yeah, not Simone. Or, or, sorry.
3: Or, or Simone. Cheney Blay. Yeah. Okay. Or whatever that one in School of Rock was. Jonathan yeah. Simone. <laughs> there we go. And follow Kyle Power, the uh, the most fragrant podcaster in F1 podcasting. And follow Chris at ChrisOnRacing. <laughs> there will also be links to uh, to all the social media of the guys in the show notes below. And the ways to support us on Patreon. And the ways to join us karting and there will be some karting videos dropping
2: early next
3: week of of our adventures at Ella Park
2: yeah and we've already got uh, the next one sort of lined up as well and of course next week uh, will be the penultimate round of this season of the Missed Apex iRacing F3 Cup. So go to Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube for that. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: look out on our Twitter. We will be promoting that. But next Friday, uh, basically, will be uh, most of the panel will be iRacing and it will be F3 at Barcelona. So see how the panel do in simulated single seat of Formula Cars around the track that you've just seen really good people do it in real cars. I mean, I can't sell it any more than that, except that. You've got Chris Stevens and Chris Catman-Turner on commentary. We've got great, great race coverage from Uncle Steve as well. So we can maybe nearly start to compare to the, uh, the the production. We've been all judgy about the F1 production. I promise, I guarantee our sim racing coverage is, is better. It's a bold claim, but you'll have to watch it to check it out. We'll be back with some kind of content, I think, on Tuesday. In fact, it is going to be a patron pod which is our doom scrolling podcast where we we talk about f1 but we also divert and tangent and talk about our our personal lives as well so it's worst content as a reward for supporting us but wherever we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was mistake thanks podcast